This is an ABC podcast. A new dementia drug has been approved in the US. New research is emerging about the early signs of the disease. And at least 400,000 Australians live with it now. So it's a good time to delve into the latest science and fill in some of the gaps in our knowledge. I'd be very interested to hear from you if you have been diagnosed with dementia or you care for someone who has. What is it like living with it for you? And what might improve your quality of life? Dr. Kate Grigorovich is a geriatrician and she's written a kind of manual for people worried about dementia in their lives. It's called Before Dementia, 20 Questions You Need to Ask About Preventing, Preparing and Coping. Dr. Grigorovich, welcome back to Life Matters. Good morning. Now, I'm going to call you Dr. Grigorovich throughout this because we do have another Kate to talk to in a moment and that might help uh, clear up the confusion for our listeners. I'm sorry if it sounds overly formal. You write that you yourself fear getting this condition like many other people. Why is it so scary for us now, do you think? We live in sort of a very hypercognitive society where people really value their independence and A lot of the people I see with dementia are really in the fairly advanced stages. And so I see a lot of people who perhaps can't um, describe themselves or their lives very much anymore, who have some trouble communicating. And some of these people can become quite scared because they, you know, there's so much information we're constantly taking in and processing. And so, you know, I see some of the manifestations of this fear, which can either be anxiety or even sometimes anxiety. acting in ways with a degree of aggression to carers and things. And I also obviously looked after many people who are dying of dementia. And so, you know, when you see something this irregularly, you know, when you know that it is a possibility for yourself in the future, it is scary. Well, and you've used the word hypercognitive, which is a really interesting way to look at our culture, I think. Do you think it's also about the way we value intelligence and fear uh, intellectual difference? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, dementia, it's multiple diseases which do result in progressive cognitive decline and people develop a cognitive-related disability. And, you know, for a lot of people, the first time they ever meet someone with advanced dementia will be a loved one they're caring for. We don't see this group out and about in society, but we also don't make society a very friendly place for people with cognitive disability. Well, yes, so there's the stigma, there's the strain on carers and family members that you write about very powerfully as well. And there's the the distress, it's the leading cause of death for women in Australia. Are we right to be fearful? You know, it's one of these things. I think being a doctor, I see obviously a lot of people with uh, life, you know, terminal disease or, you know, who've had, you know, people or even people who've just been going about their lives and something bad has happened to them. And it's a really scary thing that we all have to kind of learn to live with that we're not in perfect control. And, you know, if I am lucky enough to live into very old age, then, yes, dementia could happen to me. And so it's one of these things. I think it's coming to terms with our immortality, coming to terms with the fact that something is going to happen to us and sort of managing to still get on and enjoy our lives anyway. Well, what determines whether you're going to have a good quality of life with dementia, uh, Dr. Kate Grigorovich? Is it about how the disease plays out or more about your life circumstances? Look, there's certainly an element of how the disease plays out, but a big part of it, and this is something I think we miss in a lot of conditions, is how your life circumstances play out as well. And, you know, there's all this excitement about you know, potential treatments and things for dementia. But the reality is we've got a lot of people living with dementia right now. And we need to try and look at how we can better support that group, what sort of services and resources we can provide, how we can make 
dementia-friendly spaces, how we can support carers for people living with dementia. And these things can then make a big difference to how much people are enjoying their lives. And unfortunately, the pandemic did show that things like social outings, things like, you know, regular groups and routine, these things make a big positive difference, which became very apparent when they were missing. Yes, well, I'm very interested in this idea of dementia-friendly spaces that you just mentioned. We'll come back to that uh, in a moment. But I wanted to read out one of the texts that's come through. What is that like? And what would help? What kinds of the supports that Kate's mentioning here would be useful for you? Uh, One person's texted in saying, I'm 30 and my mum was diagnosed three years ago at 58. It has progressed quickly and my life is now like trying to care for a toddler who lives in a separate house 40 minutes away. In other words, impossible. So, you know, as as you mentioned, Kate, the right kinds of supports that need to be tailored for different people are crucial there. Uh, Kate Grigorovich, a lot of people might not know that dementia is actually an umbrella term for multiple diseases rather than a disease in itself. And in fact, Jim's texted in saying, is all dementia Alzheimer's or are there other sorts? Let's have a little look at what it actually is uh, and what causes it. Yeah, so there are many different diseases that cause dementia. Basically, they're all diseases that are causing damage to the cells in their brain, which means that they can't do their job of talking to each other and connecting properly. And so this means that people lose the... It can cause a different variety of symptoms depending on which part of the brain is affected. But one of the really um, interesting things about the brain is that part of the way it works is that everything is kind of interconnected. So even really simple things like... Um, answering a question of what you had for breakfast involves multiple different parts of the brain. So the different diseases that can cause it. So Alzheimer's is said to be the most common one. Um, vascular dementia is also quite common as well, and that's where you've got damage to the blood vessels that supply the brain. So similar to what we think of as heart disease with atherosclerosis. Um, Lewy body dementia, which has some crossover with Parkinson's disease. And then there are multiple different types of dementia. And one other thing which I think really does need to be put into thinking about what causes it is that we know that ageing is the biggest risk factor. And the risk continues to go up with age. And so that clearly, you know, some of the age-related processes, for a lot of people, they will be contributing as well. Is it inevitable, though, with age? I mean, is there age-related cognitive decline that's different to dementia? It's definitely not inevitable with age. And I met plenty of people in very old age who don't have any cognitive deficits at all. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a, it's a tricky question, you know, is it a normal part of ageing? And for some people, especially people who are very, very frail, um, that also can be associated with some cognitive decline as well. But clearly that's sort of all part of the ageing process. So it's definitely not inevitable. And there are certainly things you can do to decrease your risk of getting dementia. It was fascinating reading your book, Before Dementia, 20 Questions You Need to Ask About Preventing, Preparing, Coping. Our guest today is Dr. Kate Grigorovich, who's a geriatrician, among other things. And just learning about some of the early signs that were a real surprise to me, such as apathy. And you write that that can make diagnosis more difficult for some groups in society. Tell us about that. Yeah, so apathy is... One thing that people don't think of as a symptom of dementia, but it's actually a relatively common early symptom and more men present with apathy than with women. And so it's one of these challenges that, you know, what we think of the typical symptom of dementia as memory, not everyone will get that, at least not at the start. And so when people have got apathy, they 
to do something like, you know, to motivate yourself, you've sort of got to, you know, think about getting up to have a cup of coffee, sitting in your chair, you imagine the coffee, so then you plan out your movements and you do it. And so with apathy, sort of lose that ability to plan and work towards a task. And so this will be more of a problem for some people rather than others. And so for someone who perhaps is living alone, has to do a lot of things themselves or, you know, needs to organise their household, this is a big issue. But for some people, I see their families really compensate. And the classic example is if you've got an older couple who perhaps follow quite traditional gender roles where the wife serves the man, if the man has apathy, the wife will just compensate for him. And so they aren't aware that the man's living with dementia. Well, and on the other side of the coin, I did wonder whether um, some of the cognitive changes that sometimes come with menopause can cloud the diagnosis picture for women earlier in life. Yeah, so some women around the time of menopause will experience what we call brain fog. And this is a real and distressing thing people go through. And it's really complex and multifactorial. Sometimes around menopause, women experience insomnia. There's obviously the hormonal changes and Obviously, around the time of menopause, a lot of women have got a lot of stuff going on. They're often caring for children or teenagers, plus as well as older parents. There's a lot of stress. And so brain fog can be the feeling of having trouble concentrating, having trouble remembering. But I think it's really important to know that this has in no way been definitively linked to developing dementia. And so if women are experiencing this, it's important to go and get assessed and get potentially look at whether there's anything you can do to try and improve things. But... I really want people to have the messages, you know, this is not the start of, you know, a inexorable decline. That is extremely comforting. The person who texted in before with their mum with the early onset dementia, she was 58 when she was diagnosed, has sent a follow-up text. The NDIS has been a godsend. We would not survive without it. But there's still the question of where mum will go when she needs 24-hour care. We need dementia villages, she says, like those that exist in other countries. Many people with dementia are under 65 and not eligible for aged care. Shall we have a little chat, Dr Kate Grigorovich, about this idea of dementia-friendly spaces and how you... Uh, adjust a setting to people's behavioural and cognitive needs. Yeah, look, there was a lovely article in ABC um, a few months ago about a man who lived in a small town with dementia. And so everyone knew him and they could help support him. And I think that was really lovely. And I think part of it as well is recognising, you know, when people do have memory deficits, they're still you know, normal people in other ways. There's still people trying to go about their lives. They've got a lot in common with other with everybody. And so it's having a bit of education, having a bit of understanding, having people um, knowing what to do when they, you know, notice someone might have some cognitive deficits, you know, how the community can support people. And, of course, it's much harder to do something like that in a very big city. But, you know, helping people to work at the their optimal level. So... You know, in an ideal world, people would have access to things like day groups where they, whatever their special skills are and what, can be still used, um, you know, and perhaps they might not be able to work to the same level as they were previously, but, you know, still making sure people, you know, can feel like they've got a role and they're doing something that's meaningful. Yeah, meaningful engagement with life. It's a pretty basic thing, isn't it? We're speaking with Dr Kate Grigorovich about uh, some of the early signs of dementia, some of the ways that uh, the medical and healthcare systems are uh, dealing with it these days. And we'll also get in a little while to how you can live your life in a way that's uh, geared towards preventing dementia as much as we're able. A few quick questions, Kate, before we hear from someone who's living with dementia themselves. One of your chapters is called Are Poverty and Discrimination Risk Factors? Are they? 
Yeah, so we know that people who are from lower socioeconomic areas are at high risk of a lot of different conditions, but things like um, over the life course, like things like a lower level of education or, you know, the stress of living in poverty, these things can then increase the risk of dementia. Um, and things as well as discrimination. So Aboriginal Australians have a much higher risk of dementia, which then comes back to all these really complex um, issues, you know, going, including everything from colonisation and the terrible, you know, things that have happened to Aboriginal Australians over the relatively short course of modern Australia. And I think it's really important that, you know, we consider these things and which is prevention is, you know, as we're going to talk about, it's really good to think about, but there's also that thing that not everyone starts life with the same advantages and not everyone starts life with the same opportunities. And, you know, as a society, we've really got to challenge how we create a world where, you know, or even within Australia, where all children have the same opportunity to be healthy. Indeed. Now, quickly on to treatments. There's been a lot of excitement about a new drug that's been approved in the US. Is that excitement justified yet? I'm very much in the cautious let's wait and see side of things. It's with this drug, so people who had the drug compared to people with placebo, and this was people with Alzheimer's disease, they had a slowing in the decline. So they still had a decline in their cognitive function, but it was a bit slower than the people given placebo. So it's not, unfortunately, a cure. And the follow-up of the trial was a relatively short time period, so it was around sort of 18 months. So it's still going to be seeing what happens in the longer term. There's also been some safety concerns raised. And I know some people in the US have suggested it's going to be need to be very careful safety monitoring. So I'm in a little bit in the cautious wheel, watch and wait, and I don't quite know what's going to happen with this drug. Well, speaking of watching and waiting, what are your thoughts on early screening? Because I understand now uh, the, a new study showing that we could pick up dementia signs nine years before it's officially diagnosed. Is that a step forward? So look, anecdotally, an awful lot of the patients I see who are getting diagnosed with dementia, the symptoms started a long time earlier. And you know, people often sort of start to, when they realise someone's got dementia, start to reframe things that have been going on for years. But within all of this, I think it's really important that we don't fall down the pathway of overdiagnosis. And, you know, if we had a definitive treatment that would absolutely stop the progression, then that would be different, but we don't. And a lot of people are going to have times where their cognition might be a little bit worse for some reason. And, you know, if someone's got symptoms and they're noticing problems, it's definitely worth getting checked out because sometimes there are reversible things like depression that can mimic dementia. But I think, you know, screening for the sake of screening for someone who's really happily going about their life and not experiencing any problems, you know, I don't think it's going to improve quality of life and it's not that at this point, unfortunately, we don't have anything that can alter the progression. We've been speaking with Dr Kate Grigorovich and we will return to her in a moment and ask about how we prevent or lower our risk, I guess, for dementia, developing dementia later in life. But I want to introduce you first to someone who's been living with dementia for some time. And dementia has its typical presentations, but it can also throw up some surprises here and there. Kate Swaffer is a campaigner for the rights of people with dementia. She's a former Australian of the Year for South Australia. And she's written a book called What the Hell Happened to My Brain? Living Beyond dementia. Kate, great to have you with us on Life Matters. Thanks, Hilary. Great to be with you. Now, in 2008, you were 49. How did you come to be diagnosed? What was happening for you? 
Uh, it was a fluke, really. Hillary, I had had brain surgery three years before and I had some symptoms that uh, presented as cognitive changes, but I had no idea that younger people would get dementia, even though I worked in dementia uh, care once um, as a nurse. So when I was having just a checkup with my neurologist, I asked him, were the symptoms, the cognitive changes that I had um, related to my brain surgery? Um, and then two or three years later in, with testing, um, we discovered it was a, a rarer young onset dementia um, so I presented with things like dyslexia and unable to spell simple words like that, which um, I had no idea were possibly dementia symptoms. So I was a little bit unique um, and I probably got a much earlier diagnosis than the average younger person, um, oh, yeah. only because I was already under the care of a neurologist. And you were a busy person at that time. You had two teenage sons. You were doing a double degree, uh, you know, the usual life things. What went through your mind when you got that diagnosis? Well, I think when I got the diagnosis, um, my neurologist, there wasn't a lot um, of support around. He didn't refer me for any support anywhere. Um, and, I, you know, I, I took it as a death sentence straight away and, and expected that the prognosis would be, um, I don't know, I guess my view of dementia was late stage dementia because I'd worked in aged care and a dementia unit. Um, so I had this sort of unconscious expectation that it was going to happen really quickly uh, and of course it didn't and I think that the really lucky thing for me was being at university so the healthcare system when I started to tap into potential services everyone told me to get my end of life affairs in order to give up work to give up study and to start going to aged care daycare a day a month to get used to it. Oh good lord. And Contrast that with what my university told me. They said, well, you're just a person with acquired disabilities. We've got a whole disability support team that can help you continue to live your life. So, so I took the pathway that my university offered and then started to self-prescribe. Um, having been a nurse, and I knew that if I'd had a stroke, I would have been offered rehabilitation and a whole range of other allied health support so I started and, and I was lucky that I could um, and I had private health care and could fund it but I started to self-prescribe and get my allied health practitioners to treat me like I'd had a stroke not just you know humor me forget it's dementia let's just treat me like a stroke um, and there's a lot of evidence now showing that taking that approach changing my lifestyle improving my diet uh, increasing my level of exercise and continuing to study um, has, I believe, slowed the progression of the disease. And now the the risk reduction evidence is proving that as well. Yeah, that's a real uh, path of disengagement that was recommended to you, wasn't it? How do you think things would have yeah. played out for you if you had stopped all those things you were doing and toddled well, off to aged care? All of the people that attended the Living With Memory Loss course that my husband and I attended back in 2009 or 10, they basically went home and waited to die and they have all died. Um, so I'm not saying that that's because they didn't take a proactive approach. And, and in, in Dr. Kate's comment about being fearful of dementia, my response to that is be proactive, like you would about not getting heart disease or diabetes or cancer. Um, you know, give up the cigarettes, reduce your alcohol and other drugs um, and get fit and improve your lifestyle. Um, 
Well, yeah, it's obviously had big, big uh, benefits for you, Kate Swaffer. How have things changed for you over the years? You've been living with dementia for 15 years. You've been going off and being the first person with dementia to give a keynote speech to the UN. You've been an active campaigner. What's it like uh, for you and your family to see these uh, changes that are happening in you cognitively, physically, emotionally? Um, It's more challenging, I think, for my family than it is for me. So uh, I've been a a family care partner to three people with dementia um, who have all died and pretty awful deaths in residential aged care. Um, But when I can't remember somebody's name, even though I may have worked with them for 20 years or they're a family member, um, that's a shock for them. It initially was a shock for me too, but I've got used to it. Um, and I've learned to accept that rather than take the medical definition of dementia, which is all about deficits and loss and death, I've taken a, you know, I'm changing on a daily basis approach. I was changing before dementia. I'm still changing. I'm just changing differently to everybody else. And I need a lot of support that people can't see, like cheat sheets in my wardrobe, um, cheat sheets in the bathroom, cheat sheets at the coffee machine for in case I have a day when I can't work out how to use it. So that that's no different to wearing a pair of reading glasses. Well, exactly, yeah. And Kate, how are you feeling about the future? Uh, I feel like uh, my future is, I don't know, I see dementia as my third greatest gift in my life. Now, I didn't didn't initially, I cried for weeks initially, um, but I see that I've been able to maybe take a different viewpoint to dementia and um, Professor Lee Fei Lau, who's a friend and colleague and I, we co-authored another book about dementia, Diagnosed with Alzheimer's or Another Dementia. I think it was published the same year as my What the Hell Happened to My Brain book. And that was, that was what I wanted. That was the book I wanted when I got diagnosed but wasn't available. You know, it was how about getting a diagnosis, about the different types of dementia, about um, dementia as a disability. If we see the symptoms as acquired disabilities, instead of a death sentence, we can really change the way uh, people view dementia. Yeah, it's really fascinating hearing your point of view, Kate Swaffer. Thank you so much for joining us on Life Matters. Thank you. Kate Swaffer is a campaigner for the rights of people with dementia, former Australian of the Year for South Australia, and as you heard, one of her books is called What the Hell Happened to My Brain? Living Beyond Dementia. Love to hear from you if you uh, or someone you love is living with dementia. A few texts already popping in. My husband's 59, says one. He's being diagnosed with FTD. That's frontotemporal dementia, I think. It has turned our lives upside down and changed our relationship completely. Angela in Lilydale in Melbourne says, Dementia, I live life every day proactively, i.e. Mediterranean diet, not being sedentary, no vices, stimulate the brain every day, plus Dr. Grigorovich's banana bread recipe from Styling Alive book. Uh, that's from Angela. Dr. Kate Grigorovich, uh, perhaps drawing on the research that's informing your book before dementia, what you need to uh, know, you know, in order to, to make life better and prevent it. Uh, how much can we do with diet? and lifestyle, how much can we lower our risk factor for dementia? Yeah, there was a study published in The Lancet um, some years ago and they estimated approximately 35%. And I think this is one of the things that we have to sort of grapple a little bit with prevention. And, 
it's really great to do what you can to, you know, control your health and control your life. And especially since so many of the things with this, you know, like exercise, one of the big reasons I exercise, it makes me feel so much better on the day. So all these short-term benefits. But I think one of the things, um, really difficult parts of it is that, you know, as doctors, we've all had patients who do all the right things and bad things can still happen. People can still get diseases, even dementia. And so it's doing what you can, controlling what you can. But I think we've got to be really careful not to stigmatise people who do still get these conditions. Yes, indeed. And in the book, you talk about things like alcohol and stress and socialising. But as you also mentioned, some of those life opportunities can shape how we are able to access lifestyle change as well. Um, The idea about brain exercises is interesting, isn't it? Because Kate Swaffer and other people have mentioned that as well. What's the ideal balance, Dr. Kate Gregorovich, between challenging your brain and giving it some downtime as well? Yeah, so there is evidence um, around higher level of education is protective or doing an intellectually challenging job. Um, that those are the brain training exercises, the apps, unfortunately, there's not evidence to really support them. And so I think it's more about trying to engage in cognitive challenge in everyday life. And it's very available. You know, even something as simple as going out to a dinner party with people you don't know very well. You know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to think about. And hopefully it's also fun. And... So it's good to try and do what you can in terms of challenging yourself. But um, it's also, as I said, with um, it's fantastic for Kate that this has worked so well for her. But again, I don't want people listening who, you know, are living, caring for someone with advanced dementia to feel like they've failed. Well, because yes. it said for most people, unfortunately, the damage will progress. Well, and Kate Swaffer, I, I'm getting the impression, is not how a person with dementia typically presents. You know, 15 years on from her diagnosis, she's doing radio interviews, you know, and she's she's obviously uh, her speech and her cognitive abilities are, are still quite high. Is that, that representative? Yes, it's absolutely wonderful that she's still able to do all of these things and clearly she's been very proactive, but it's certainly not typical of the people I see. Yes, indeed. We're speaking with Dr. Kate Gregorovich and her book is called Before Dementia and we're learning some very interesting things about uh, what you can do and what is out of our control when it comes to developing dementia. Kate uh, Swaffer talked about how she felt she was being told to disengage from the world. How does that tally with what you see, Dr. Kate Gregorovich, when diagnoses are delivered these days, 15 years on from when Kate Swaffer got hers? Yeah, I think what's, you know, really important with, um, you know, any sort of diagnosis around sort of cognitive disability is to look at what people are still able to do. And sometimes it can be a bit of a um, attempt to protect people um, and then stop them doing things. But I think it's what's more important is to, look, you know, enabling people to do what they're able to do. You know, as an example, like cooking. Cooking is a very complex activity a lot of the time and so you know someone who was previously a really skilled cook they might not be able to make things that are quite as complicated or they might need a bit of assistance but it's still fantastic to engage people in that activity they enjoy. I love the story you wrote uh, in the book about a man who uh, was in an aged care residential facility and kept taking off his pants and that was seen as really inappropriate and a a challenging behaviour. How did you approach that? 
So I think within all of this, like people with dementia are still trying to achieve the same goals most of us are trying to achieve. And that would be, you know, being comfortable, not being in pain, not being hungry, not being too hot, not being too cold. And so, you know, this story was someone who was being labelled as, you know, acting in an inappropriate way, but he had a condition that made it very uncomfortable to wear pants. And so he would then take his pants off because he was uncomfortable and, you know, learning that you need to wear pants, it's something we learn, something, you know, we're socialised to. And so he would then forget he didn't have them on and go for a wander. And so it was really simple to fix the inappropriate behaviour, which is that getting him a skirt to wear. And so he was then, he would then feel comfortable and people weren't getting uncomfortable around him. Yep, a practical solution. Now, this is a question that's popped in on text, Dr. Kate Gregorovich. My nan had dementia. I have the late onset Alzheimer's gene and I'm worried that my mum is showing symptoms. How do I start the conversation? I find it very hard. And that's something that so many of our listeners worry about on this topic. Do you have any uh, strategies for people who are trying to have that first difficult conversation with a loved one? It's really difficult. And one of the things we see frequently in with people coming in for investigations around memory is that the person with the memory problems doesn't remember they have the memory problems. And so very often it's someone they love trying to get them assessed. And so sometimes it has to be a conversation with the GP to say, I'm really concerned to start the process or seeing if you can go to a medical appointment with them. But it can be very difficult because it can be hard to get the person to engage in that. Yes, indeed. Well, there, there is so much we could talk about today and uh, so many people living with this as a as someone with the condition themselves or someone caring for someone with dementia. It's been great having you on the program, Dr. Kate Gregorovich, and being able to explore it a little with you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Dr. Kate Gregorovich is a geriatrician and an internal, sorry, a geriatrician. I'll stick with her. New book is called Before Dementia, 20 Questions You Need to Ask About Preventing, Preparing and Coping. And you heard earlier too from Kate Swaffer, who's living with dementia. She's a campaigner and advocate for people with dementia. And she's written several books, one of which is called What the Hell Happened to My Brain? You can find her uh, and her books online as well. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.